Welcome to the Real Marathon Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the best in film each and every week. I'm Rob Carraher. And I'm Danny Carraher. And today's show is going to be focused on Pixar. And in particular, we're looking at their newest film, uh, which is Luca and can be watched on their platform of Disney+. Plus. So we'll get to that uh, review a little bit later, uh, as well as our top five countdown of favorite Pixar films. Uh, now that the uh, catalog of Pixar films has expanded quite a bit since its uh, beginnings, there's a lot to choose from. And so we'll talk about that. But today, to start today's show off, I think we want to talk a little bit about some of the films that have been coming out um, this past week and some of the movies that we didn't end up doing reviews for, but to give our audiences a little bit of an idea of what is out and what you can see. A couple of these we've seen, um, so that that makes the uh, conversation a little bit interesting because uh, we didn't do an actual review of these films, but uh, it, it does allow us to give you a a little taste of what we we thought, um, as well as what movies we may be still interested in seeing. So last week was interesting because of the fact that they had some staggered releases with the holiday, um, around the holiday time. A lot of times they like to release movies on Wednesdays, and uh, there's a Thursday release in here. Um, So on Wednesday, two titles dropped. Uh, The first was a Netflix film called America the Motion Picture, And uh, everything that I have heard about this is that it is trash. (laughs) Um, It it (laughs) has a 40 Metascore and a 5.7 on IMDb. It is made by the creators of Archer and uh, has a bunch of famous voices like Channing Tatum as George Washington. And it's like a a revisionist history of... uh, the the american revolution and apparently it's just straight up dumb um is, so, it, is it comedic is that it the, is it's a cartoon okay. it's a cartoon and so like it's supposed to be a funny uh funny film but from what i've heard it's not very funny um and uh, yeah it's it's probably got some problems with it so anyway um if you're in the mood for something like that uh you could take your chance and actually watch it i was considering watching it until i started to hear more and more about it and then i, I mean the out. premise sounds interesting to me I, I feel like i could enjoy it but i mean if it's too dumb I don't know. I really like dumb things. So, <laughs> so maybe there there'll be a night where you're just looking for something stupid to watch. You can throw yeah. on America the Motion Picture. Um, it's not going to cost you anything extra if you have a Netflix account. So, uh, be my guest. The other main film that came out on Wednesday was a little indie flick called Zola. And it arrived in theaters. And Danny and I had a chance to actually go go see this. Um, film the the imdb score currently is at a 6.7 the meta score is at a 75 it is clearly uh more loved by critics and uh i for one side more with the critics and in fact i liked it better than both i ended up giving it an 8 out of 10 on imdb um and i thought that it was a very creative uh and unique uh, take at uh, a essentially a 
kind of travel story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I gave it eight out of 10 as well. And uh, I was actually surprised when you told me that that that's the meta score for this movie. Cause it feels like it maybe deserves a little bit more love. Um, I mean, there's some maybe uh, issues in the way the story is told, but the vision of it is really good. And Janisa Bravo, who's been making stuff for a little while, um, and maybe she's done more like assistant director uh, positions uh, on previous films, but um, I'm really excited to see what movie she makes here on out because this was a definite, uh, definitely an impressive outing from a directorial standpoint. So, yeah, the thing that's interesting about this film is that. Um it maybe lacks a little bit from a narrative standpoint because the characters aren't overly well developed. They're a little bit surface level. Um, but w- with that, it's a little, that, that messiness of it, it, everything else is really pretty good. Um, it's, we talked about the idea that it is very much a director's vision that is really being seen and played out on the screen and you can see that. And so I'm with you that uh, I think, it's going to be cool to see what Bravo does from here. And this is like kind of that launching pad type of movie. You can tell that critics are interested in her now um, as a, a voice moving forward. And even if this movie doesn't get a lot of awards love, which I think it probably will get some um, come award season that, especially from critics groups, I think that you're going to see a, uh, Honestly, I think there'll probably be a decent amount of people that will um, be looking to uh, reward Coleman Domingo, who plays X um, in this movie. Uh, There's been a lot of talk about really giving him um, some kudos because he has a a fantastic performance. I think Taylor Page, who plays Zola, is fantastic. Um, Riley Keough, even though she drives you absolutely nuts, uh, is very good in her performance. And then Nicholas Braun, who plays her idiot boyfriend. Um, he's also very, very funny in this and plays this role. Um, so if anything, I think there's a chance for some of these actors to show up in at least, at least some of critics end of year lists. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that from a technical standpoint, uh, this isn't probably going to get a ton of love during award season, but it is a beautifully made film um, that does some really, really interesting things that you're not mm-hmm. going to see a lot of other films this year do. Yeah, I'm excited just to see what the the narrative around the movie is moving forward in the year and then just see what all of these people in this film get to do in the future because I like, I mean, I was impressed with every cast member and then obviously we talked about the director. So it, it just is an exciting movie from that standpoint. hundred percent agree. Um, so go out, check that out. Uh, if there's nothing else you want to see in the theaters um, this upcoming week here, uh, go ahead and see Zola. I think that uh, it, it is an interesting movie. I would put it out there that this is probably not a, an extremely accessible movie. Um, so if you, if you want a more blockbuster Hollywood type movie, this is not it. Um, there's some rawness to it. Uh, it's pretty explicit. Um, and, uh, I, I will throw that out there, but if you are interested in being somewhat challenged as a, as an audience member, um, and like interesting, uh, cinematography, 
uh, interesting editing, um, kind of a little bit of a fluid uh, feel where some things aren't quite as they seem. Um, yeah, it's an interesting movie. I, I highly recommend it. Um, so once again, we both gave it an eight. Um, and we'll kind of close the book on Zola. Thursday, uh, the film No Sudden Move came out on HBO Max. Um, I don't know if it's getting a theater release or not, but this is Steven Soderbergh's most recent film. Uh, it has a gigantic cast of um, very well-known actors uh, that I think, you know, Steven Soderbergh, as the director of Ocean's Eleven, has kind of become uh, known for bringing a lot of big name actors together to make uh, movies and this movie currently has a 77 meta score and a 6.6 .6 on imdb um, something i kind of had heard prior to uh, recording this was that some folks think that this is probably his best movie since side effects because um, it kind of has that thriller uh, kind of drama mystery feel to it um, but starring Don Cheadle, Benicio Del Toro, David Harbour, John Hamm, um, Brendan Fraser is making a return uh, yeah so it's got it's got a full cast and uh, I'd be interested in seeing this movie yeah I want to see it I was under the impression that this was going to not have super um, high expectations and um, for some reason, I might have seen like an early review of it or something, and it wasn't uh, very fond of the movie. And so maybe that's why I was turned off by it. But I mean, Steven Soderbergh is pretty routinely uh, interesting. I mean, there's a lot of movies I haven't seen by him, but I know that he is he's done a lot of stuff that, that I've enjoyed in the past. So I'm, I'm going to definitely check it out. It's on HBO Max. HBO Max. Yep. Um, I think Steven Soderbergh is kind of taken a bad hit here in the last few months because he was the main producer for the Oscars and the Oscars had a lot of problems. <laughs> um, and so uh, there's a little bit of hate out there towards Steven Soderbergh, but um, the, I think this is the sort of movie that I will probably like just because I think Steven Soderbergh's an interesting storyteller and makes some good movies. Um, but uh, it's probably not going to be my favorite movie of the year. Um, but yeah, you can check that out on HBO Max. So those were our early week, our Wednesday and Thursday releases. I'm going to go down. I'm just going to read the titles for the movies that came out on Friday. And um, I am going to save one for last. It's a movie we've already talked about on the podcast before, um, but uh, I haven't got a chance to talk to you about it, Danny, on the podcast. So we'll talk yeah. about that last. Um, so I'm not going to include that in this list. But I'm just going to read these titles, and uh, if there's anything that sticks out to you uh, or you want to make a comment, feel free to do so, and I might make a few comments on some of these. Um, so this week we had The Boss Baby Family Business, which came to theaters, uh, The Forever Purge, which is also a theater's release, um, The Tomorrow War, which I don't know if it's a theater release. It's definitely being released on Amazon Prime. It seems like a theater movie. Um, so we can talk about that a little bit. Um, Fear Street Part 1, 1994, which is a Netflix uh, release. First Date, which is a video on demand release. You'd have to pay for that one. Um, the God Committee, which is also a video on demand. And I think it actually does have a theater release. Um, maybe not as big. Um, and then a film called Death or Till Death, which is also a video on demand. So is there anything that 
was released this week that either looks interesting to you or that you're going to avoid at all costs or just I will just say none of those movies are I'm not itching to watch any of those movies <laughs> and uh, we actually saw Zola in the theater together and we saw the trailer for The Purge and The Tomorrow War and uh, I, I, I think I said for The Tomorrow War I like leaned over and I was like man it seems like we've seen this movie a hundred times you know what I mean and yep. uh, the Tomorrow, the tomorrow War thing. has a 45 meta score and a 6.7 uh, IMDB score and that seems about right and it just, I mean, tra- a trailer is one thing, I guess a trailer can not be anything like the movie, but it just, it's not a, it does not look enjoyable to me and it just seems generic and, um, and I like a lot of action movies, but it's just didn't, didn't seem interesting to me. Um, the other one that you mentioned was Fear Street and I actually haven't seen any like trailer for this but I've seen some of the like branding and, and uh, marketing for it. And it seems interesting from that perspective. Is it, is it some, is it part of a series or franchise? Yes. So um, I believe, I can't remember now I'm looking it up uh, as we speak. Um, It is based on uh, RL Stein's fear street books, um, which I don't know when they came out, but uh, the same writer of the goosebumps stories except for this is definitely uh it it is not for children it is rated r and it's going to be part of a three film series that is released over the next few weekends so um 1994 is released this week or this past weekend here um and then this upcoming weekend they're going to release another one and then they're going to release a third one two weekends from now um and so they're just it looks to be like just horror uh stories um and uh as of right now this one has a 67 meta score and a 6.2 which for the horror genre and something that's not a highly anticipated release I think that's pretty solid. Yeah, I think, I, I mean, again, I'm not itching to see it, but I feel like it seems the most interesting of the ones you mentioned. And uh, I think I'm kind of a sucker for horror movies. I'll, I'll pretty much watch whatever in, in terms of horror, even though I know a lot of times it ends up being not very good. But um, it seemed interesting to me just based on the marketing. And it's amazing that I could say that just seeing like a couple images on on Twitter, I'm like, oh, it seems kind of cool, <laughs> you know. So yeah, that's, that's my only exposure to it. But um, yeah, that's that's pretty much all I, I have on those. Okay, uh, I think that uh, yeah, all I think that I'm so, somewhat on the same page with you here. I don't really have a ton of interest in seeing most of these movies. Um, I never saw the original Boss Baby, um, and I don't really have an interest to, uh, the thing that I have to say about the boss baby family business is that if it weren't for it being a year with a ton of animated films, like a bunch of animated films are coming out this year. Um, and I think that this would have probably been a potential player for the animated nomination at the Oscars. I can safely say that uh this is probably not going to get nominated because as of right now there are already have been they've already released i think three movies that are going to be more of a player than the boss baby 
um, for animated. And since there's only five nominations, the idea that they would only have maybe one other movie this year that is worthy of that um, seems a little ridiculous. Uh, so I think the boss baby family business is out uh, and yeah, I'm probably not going to see it unless it does start to get some buzz. Is boss baby dreamworks? Mm, it might be. It actually might be. Um, I can't remember, but I, I'm always interested because DreamWorks is a studio that has not had very much success be, just out of the nature of Pixar and Disney. More recently. Um, I believe, well, it is street also streaming on Peacock. Um, so it's not only a, a theater release. And so it must be Paramount. Right? No. Is Paramount? No, Paramount has CBS. Peacock. Yeah, NBC must have. Uh, it is DreamWorks Animation. Oh, it is DreamWorks. Okay. So, um, yeah, DreamWorks has struggled as of late. They had the uh, How to Train Your Dragon mm -hmm. stuff. Um, but other than that, you know, seems like uh, they've, they've really, really struggled in recent years. Um, and it's getting more competitive, more and more studios are interested in releasing animated films. And, uh, um, yeah, I think that we may be coming into a new age of animated films. Um, and we're going to start to see just a really, really competitive field, um, yep. in terms of that. So, um, the one film that I was leaving for us to talk about was the summer of soul which came out uh in theaters as well as on hulu and the both of us we saw this at uh at sundance this year and i talked about it a little bit on my sundance uh my sundance review but uh, i thought i'd kind of open it up and let you say a few things about what you thought of summer of soul and um kind of your your recommendations surrounding that film Summer of Soul is probably one of the top movies of my of the year for me right now, and uh, it is got. Uh, if you're if you're a fan of music, like you're gonna love this movie. Um, it's kind of amazing to see just how many major artists were part of this concert that just pretty much went completely unnoticed by history. You know, like we don't we talk about Woodstock all the time, but this Harlem festival, um, the summer of soul is not, uh, something that we're ever taught or, you know, we don't learn about it. And, um, the history that is involved in the story is interesting, but it's really just about seeing the, uh, the voices of, of these black artists that are like given this stage and of audience to, 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 enjoy that and so I mean it's it's been um one that I think about quite a bit just because I think um a good documentary is all about you know using uh history to kind of bring a new perspective you know and this is amazing because he found all of this unused footage um Questlove who made the doc documentary found all of this unused footage and used it to to tell this really um, interesting story and I especially love the way that they um, interview people who had been in, a, in attendance of the the 
festival to kind of get their reaction years later. And you can see just how impactful that festival was for them all these years later. Um, and so, again, I, even if you're not a huge music fan, if you're a history fan, you know, I, I think that this, there's a lot to enjoy in this movie. And um, it's, it's not like there's some big twists or turns or anything in the documentary. It's just about kind of enjoying this experience that was not really known about before. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I ended up giving it an eight out of 10. Um, it has an 8.3 and on IMDb and a 96 Metascore, which is an incredible, incredible Metascore. Um, and so I, I would be very surprised if this is not in the conversation for best documentary um, at, during award season. The documentary branch, they do some weird things sometimes leaving out films that should probably win this this mm -hmm. category and this is going to be one of those documentaries that i think should be in play for potentially winning the best documentary category um just because it is documentary filmmaking at its highest level um taking archive footage that looks absolutely beautiful. It like does. I cannot believe the quality of footage that they have for this film. Um, you'd think that they, they filmed this concert with the intention of making a documentary because the footage is absolutely gorgeous. Um, and it, 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 yeah, it, the way that Questlove edits everything together and just makes it flow seamlessly um, is very, very, very impressive. So um, highly recommend seeing Summer of Soul. Um, if, even if you can't get to the theaters and you have Hulu, watch it on Hulu. Um, it's well worth your time. Um, was there any other movies that you have seen in the last few weeks that you thought was it, uh, were interesting? Um, I haven't watched too much new um, stuff recently, so I, I can't not no new recommendations but i'm just excited because we're at that point of the year where a lot of new stuff is is around the corner and uh i'm excited moving forward um they talk about how this last weekend was a huge movie release weekend uh just in terms of a lot of big big titles you know i mean even though zola's an indie flick it's a24 and that's a24 definitely has their own niche audience that is anticipated especially within the film world and so that along with a soderbergh film and then um you know a, a, a major studio releasing a animation or a movie like boss baby i mean all of that i think shows that there's big movies coming up and it will continue to happen throughout the year so i'm excited Yep. Yep. I think we finally kind of turned that corner where pretty much, even if there's stuff that we're not extremely interested in seeing, there's going to be a big name movie that's released every weekend till the end of the year. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, it, it'll be fun to watch that all of that play out. Um, I did watch a few movies in the last few weeks. Uh, the movie Fatherhood, which is on Netflix, which came out Father Day, Father's Day weekend with uh, Kevin Hart. Um, it was a fairly enjoyable movie. I was pretty impressed with Kevin Hart, uh, playing a more serious role. Obviously he still adds his little comedy elements in there, but he did a pretty good job in that movie. I ended up giving it a seven out of 10. You can watch that on Netflix. Um, I also watched St. Maude, which is, I think a technically a 2020 movie 
uh, ended up on Hulu. Um, I, that might be an A24 movie. I can't remember if it is or not. Um, but uh, the, if you like the horror genre, um, it's a pretty unsettling movie uh, and well worth a watch. Um, I also watched the movie Plan B on Hulu. Um, it's a female kind of buddy comedy, kind of in the same vein as like Superbad. Uh, I liked it. I ended up only giving it a six out of 10 because it had some elements that I thought were really, really great. Um, but it also borrows a little bit too much from a lot of its predecessors. And uh, there, there aren't overly original ideas. Um, the two main actresses in this film are really good um, and they're funny and they're enjoyable to watch. Uh, it is a very raunchy movie <laughs> um, that goes for a lot of shock value. Um, but uh, overall, it's a sort of movie where if you're in the movie to, or in the mood to watch a raunchy comedy um, that uh, isn't going to be overly original, uh, it, it's worth a watch. Um, I think the fact that it is from a female perspective maybe makes it a little more fresh than say, uh, like a super bad type movie, but so, I don't know anything about, I mean, I think I've seen this trailer. I can't remember exactly what it's about, but is, is, am I right in saying this is like book smart meets never rarely, sometimes always? Yes, it is a little bit like that. That is exactly what I would say it is. Uh, book smart meets, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's a, a very good uh, way of putting it. Although it probably leans a little bit more on the book smart side. Yeah, I would imagine if it leaned too much into the other direction, it would be kind of depressing. Yeah, it, it is not a depressing movie. Okay. Anyway, uh, so that, that would maybe be another recommendation. And then I also watched uh, American Murder, The Family Next Door, which is um a documentary about uh murder um pretty high uh like a the the country knows the this story because it was very much um kind of put on display for everyone uh it is the 2018 murder of shanann watts um by her husband chris rock watts and um yeah, it's a, a pretty impressive documentary because it is all archive footage mm -hmm. of uh, conversations that they had with the police that they got on like their body cameras or um, while they are being questioned. Um, they also, because Shanann puts a ton of stuff on mm -hmm. Facebook, there's a lot of videos there. Um, and then they use text message conversations that they put up um, between people. And so the entire thing is archival. Um, it's just edited really well together. I gave this movie a seven as well. Um, and yeah, it's a, a, if you like that true crime genre, um, it, it's definitely worth a watch. It's on Netflix. Did, did that come out last year? Um I don't know. It might have come out last year. I believe uh, it. I, yeah, it I, is. It I, is 2020. It's a 2020 movie. Yeah. I mean, unless there's more than one documentary about it, that's the one I saw. So yep. um, the, uh, I, I thought that was a great documentary. I mean, like you said, it's just cool how they have all of the footage to, to kind of tell that story. And obviously it's sad, but right. 
it has like all true crime there's a kind of suspense to it and i think that's really an impressive part of the the movie yep all right so that is what i have watched that was what was coming out this week um this past week we will kind of start our our show off this way i think for um the near future in the same manner just because i think that it allows us to talk about a lot of different movies that we're either interested in seeing or maybe not so interested in seeing and talk about maybe a little bit of the narrative that's going on around some of these these movies um it also maybe gives us an opportunity if there's an older movie that we uh saw that either we haven't seen in a while or that we're seeing for the first time um we can maybe talk about some of those movies as well so um that is what's out this week from the real marathon podcast and when we return from this break we are going to be talking about the film luca which is the newest from pixar so stay right there alberto scorfano luca panguro piacere trollamo trombetta it's a human thing i'm kind of an expert what does it mean the, the thing you just said come on i'll show you some more stuff mother of pearl you live up here? Yeah, me and my dad. He's not even here a whole lot, so I pretty much just do whatever I want. Isn't it dangerous? Yeah, it's the best. Everything good is above the surface. Like, what else? Air! <gasps> Gravity, also known as falling! <laughs> the sky, clouds, the sun. Whoa, don't look at it. Just kidding. Definitely look at it. <laughs> And we are back. That clip you just heard is from Pixar's newest, Luca. And we are going to talk a little bit about this film. Um, So the concept behind this movie is it follows the sea monster, um, Luca, and his family who live off of the coast of an Italian uh, town. And this Italian town has been trying to hunt and kill these sea monsters for many, many years. And so it's kind of part of the lore of this town. But Luca soon finds out that when he comes out of the water, he takes on a human form. And this kind of complicates the the, uh, world that he lives in as he's becoming more interested in what's beyond his undersea world. Um, So that's kind of the premise behind what Luca is all about. And um, the narrative that is surrounding this film has been a little bit interesting because a lot of folks believe that this isn't top notch uh, Pixar and isn't maybe in the same league as some of their top, top films. Um, And that kind of was the narrative heading into its release but then when it was released on Disney Plus, did not get a theater release. But as it was released on Disney Plus, um, it started to kind of move a little bit. And overall, this film has been pretty, pretty loved. It may not be the uh, absolute top um, film, but uh, generally people seem to love it. And you know what? I also loved it. I ended up giving it an eight out of ten. Um, on IMDb. And uh, once again, it's probably not a 
top-notch Pixar film for me, but I really, really enjoyed this film. Um, and I think I liked it a lot better than I thought I might even like it. What'd you think, Danny? I, I agree with you totally. And uh, I, I was, I mean, I'm not going to give away too much um, here just because I think this is a movie that you really just need to experience and see for yourself. But I was, it made me really emotional when I watched it. And um, I, I, I feel like Pixar kind of does that frequently for me <laughs> at least um and so i uh was uh i think initially i had i was so caught up in the emotions of that that i was like man this movie's amazing and the more i thought about it i i kind of had an even-headed look at it after a little while and i also gave it an eight out of ten um I, I really did like this movie i think that um there's uh, kind of a, and I, I don't want to say too much, but there is a clear kind of allegory of what this movie's going for. Um, and I um, appreciate that this, maybe while seeming too on the nose at times, it feels uh, uh, at least more than just like virtue signaling, which I think sometimes Disney has been accused of in the past where it's like, don't do things if it doesn't really matter for the story or things like that. And uh, while um, some people I've heard the narrative around this, it's interesting. People can be critical and saying like that they could um, do, do more to uh, kind of lean into that allegory or they, they could leave it more subtle. Um, that's a question that you'll probably be interested in thinking about after you watch the movie, but uh, it's hard to talk about too much right now. One thing I will say though, is when I'm going into a, a movie that is uh, an animated movie directed towards kids, I, I think about what's a movie that I think would be like a really good movie for a kid to watch. Like one that like is absolutely has a good lesson. It has good characters. It's enjoyable. And this is one that I could honestly say like is, you know, it, the message is so strong for what a kid should see today. And it's not like a totally new message by any means. It's, we've heard, we've seen stuff like this, but I think in the way that it's presented and the clear indication of what this message means, um, it is, uh, I think really good for our current time right now. Um, so Again, it's hard to say a lot right now without giving anything away. Yeah, this this movie is very much a uh, you don't want to say too much because most certainly you don't want to give away what the ultimate message is. is. Um, but I, I think you you are right in the fact that part of the commentary around this movie is that it doesn't have the deep messaging or the deep concepts that something like inside out or soul has mm -hmm. where it, it really kind of digs into the human, just the human experience in terms of what is going on inside of you um, and trying to create meaning for something that isn't as concrete um the it, the messaging of this movie is very there's no question what they're trying to say mm -hmm. and uh it makes it more accessible i think yeah. that's where you lose out like on a film like inside out and soul 
Um, those movies are made more for an older audience, even though it's still enjoyable for children, I think. Um, they're definitely, the, the messaging is more catered to an older audience. And this one is just a very universal message where it's like, yeah, that's a pretty simple message, um, but it's important. And I think that they do a really good job of writing this line of not shoving it too in your face, but uh, also um, making it pretty apparent at the same time. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's not a, a, an easy thing to do. I think that they kind of just, they, they hit that line almost perfectly um, in the way that they, everything unfolds. And without giving too much away about the ending here, um, I do want to say that the ending is very refreshing because of the way that everything unfolds. Um, I think that we, we often feel like there needs to be pushback when we are telling this sort of narrative from certain groups of people. But the way that this ends, it seems like, like the acceptance of everyone in terms of how this ends is um, everybody kind of agrees. This mm -hmm. is the way that it should, everything should go forward. Mm -hmm. And that's not always the case uh, in telling this sort of story. Mm -hmm. um, and that was refreshing to me because it's the sort of um, kind of, I think there's some feel goodness to, to it that even if it's not overly realistic, it's representative of an ideal um, mm -hmm. that I think most of us feel there should be. And mm -hmm. um, that left me feeling warm and fuzzy in a way that even like I, I, when the movie soul got over, even though there's like a warm fuzziness to soul, um, there's still kind of this pain of, it's too know. existential. It is. It is. That's exactly right. And um, maybe that's what makes it a really great film because it makes you think about a lot of those things. But sometimes, especially when it comes to animated films, I want the film to end and I want to feel like it's just a comforting, <laughs> a comforting feel. And yeah. I feel like Luca is a very, very comfortable film. Right. It is made with the idea to make you feel good and to want to make the world around you better. But I, th I think the other thing that we take for granted is the, a lot of the people in the film industry are going to say, you know, like, oh, well, this, this is a, a, a classic story. We've seen this before. They're basically yeah. saying, accept, be, be accepting of others. Uh -huh. um, but we, do, we take for granted the fact that there are still people that struggle to accept other people. And so this movie, I believe, and I, I mean, obviously they make it for a tons of different reasons, but I believe this movie is, is great for a kid who is in a family who might not be accepting of others and to see, oh, this is how you can accept other people. And so like, that is why I think it's a really good kids movie because it has that message that's so simple, but it's, it's specific enough to our time. Um, it is. And, and um, it's specific enough to uh, an experience that a lot of people go through. 
Um, and so that that's what I think makes it uh, a really good film. I, I think aside from all of that, I think we should talk about too that the, um, I, I think the animation is beautiful in this movie too. It's got, I, I will say I, I felt like the underwater sequences were less captivating that, than the ones above water in some yeah. ways. I almost wanted that world to be muted um, uh I, I wanted the the world oh, you wanted it low water to be a little bit more exciting you know what i mean just because magical yeah a little bit more magical um and i i the comparison that i would make is the in soul that place beyond you know where they're like it's it's totally imaginative and totally out there and you it's it's very interesting and then it's a complete juxtaposition to when they get into the real world on earth and yeah. then i was kind of hoping we would see something more like that between the underwater world and but again that's a small a small thing i think that um overall in terms of the story i wasn't really sold on this story and really wasn't buying in until he got above water yeah um, and maybe that's because of the animation but that, that's also because of the uh side character alberto um who i think is a fun is a fun character to see um luca interact with yeah i i, I agree with that um the yeah the, the underwater stuff isn't as interesting i think number one because um pixar's already made finding nemo which has explored that underwater world and mm. so i i think that there's some comparisons that go with that um and that it, it just wasn't that's not what the the film is about um and they decided to just not really invest in that as much uh granted um in the grand scheme of things what is happening underwater is not like there, there's not a ton of the film that actually takes place there right. um so maybe that's part of the reason that they they didn't develop it but i i understand that critique um i think this movie has a lot of borrowed concepts, um, which is okay, but I think that's where it lacks a little bit too. It kind of has a little bit of the Little Mermaid feel to it. It has a little bit of a Shrek feel to it, um, where you know there's kind of this this uh, positioning of I want something that is not me or it's not who I am. Um, and and so there's that kind of borrowed concept i think that maybe holds back the movie a little bit uh but they still did a pretty good job of making this feel fresh in a way that uh it felt like it was made and told through a 2021 lens mm -hmm. um where we're a little bit more aware of some of these things that are going on in the world and uh, how they they fit into this narrative. Um, the voice acting was very good uh, mm -hmm. for having three children as the leads. Mm -hmm. um, I thought the voice acting was pretty dang good. And in particular, uh, Alberto, um, the actor, Jack Dylan Grazer, he's very, very good in this. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think that um, he's kind of the heart of the film, yeah. you ask me. Um, the little girl's also 
very good. And uh, I think it's funny that Maya Rudolph plays the mother in this, does the mother voice in this, uh, as apparently she has taken up the mantle as the official um, mother voice for animated films in 2021. Yep. Yeah. And then Jim Gaffigan is the dad. Yep. Bumbling idiot dad. Um, Yeah. The, the voice acting was good. And um, you can see some of the best scenes early. I mean, early on are just how um, Alberto and Luca are like that friendship is growing and, Alberto's an interesting character because he's, you know, kind of performing always, you know, pretending yep. to be something he's not or pretending to have a life that he doesn't. Um, a little bit of Latin. Yep. Yep. And, uh, you know, it's, I, I like to, and I, I'm, this is not to say, I, I don't, I do not want to see uh, sequels to this story. <laughs> yeah. But I, I like the, I like it when, a story feels like it has stories that exist outside of the one you're seeing. I think, I think if you told another story with these characters, it wouldn't be, I mean, I could always be surprised, but I don't know. It's just, it, I just would rather see them do something new. Uh, yeah. But uh, one thing that I, I just, I think is so cool. Uh, the, I love their obsession with the Vespas in this. Yeah. And it's hilarious how much they love Vespas. And I love when they go, oh, look, a wild Vespa. And it's the, the, the like when they're in that dream state, kind of. Yep. That sequence is funny, but it's really cool storytelling because the, what the, the thing that's at the core of them loving the Vespa is they see a poster that says Vespas are freedom. And so that is what they're going for. And so, I mean, yep. that's that's good storytelling. I think it's, um, especially for a kid's movie, and maybe it's a little heavy handed, but uh, I think, you know, they don't say that. You see it on the poster and you make that connection. And I right. think that is important to why they want that Vespa. Right. Yeah, yeah. I, that's a whole other uh, kind of critique of, what or what this film is trying to critique about society and i think that that's an interesting uh kind of viewpoint that it goes down with once again it's not being overly heavy-handed um Mm -hmm. it's important to understand as a viewer but for children they don't care Mm -hmm. (laughs) um about that aspect of it uh but uh yeah i i think that that is um an interesting kind of concept to this film and something that they took and they ran with yep um but yeah overall i yeah i really did like this movie um initially i had put this movie before we knew anything about it when i put my um best picture uh predictions for this upcoming year with it being expanded to 10 movies um i put luca in there um i'm not so sure it's going to be um i think that uh, after having seen it not to take anything away from it but um uh, I think they'll probably end up moving it out as I start to think about compiling a new list as new movies are coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, I still think that it, it, I'd be very surprised if it is not nominated for best animated film. Um, I think maybe we should have this conversation here. Did you like Luca or Mitchell's versus the machines better? Mm. 
I think I liked Luca better because it was, um, to me, it was a cleaner movie in the sense that it, and maybe, maybe that's why it's for some people, maybe that's a, a, a bad thing, but to me, it felt like it had a clearer idea of what it was trying to say. Um, and again, like Mitchell's versus the machines is a good animated movie, but part of me almost is like, I don't even know if that movie was made for kids. You know what I mean? Yep. Maybe it was made for like an older kid, maybe like a teenager or something, but uh, I don't like, I, I don't know. I, and maybe it's also because I'm a sucker for Pixar, but um, I had a, an emotional experience watching Luca that I kind of makes me biased towards it. What did you think between? Um, I, I've been going back and forth a little bit on this. Uh, on any given day, I probably could choose one or the other and be completely fine with it. I gave them both eight. So um, they, they're pretty, pretty balanced in terms of that. Um, I think they each have things that make them superior in certain areas to the other. Um, I would say that I probably, if I were a, a an Oscar voter uh, and I had to decide, I would probably vote for Mitchell's versus the Machines from an originality standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it is uh, a little more unique than Luca. Um, and Luca may be a little too safe when it comes to, uh, everything. Um, once again, not to take anything away from it because it does what it does very, very well. Um, and Pixar has, uh, essentially perfected the way that they make films. Mm -hmm. Um, so it may not be as messy as Mitchell's versus the machines in certain areas, um, but it, it, Mitchell's versus the machines, I think, is uh, a little more creative, and um, I agree with that. and I think that it it changes the animated landscape a little bit in terms of um, what we expect from an animated movie, mm-hmm. um, and so I think if if as of today, I think I would probably choose Mitchell's versus the machines um, if I had to make a choice. But Luca's very, very close uh, in that race. And I still haven't watched Ryan the, the Last Dragon yet, but. Um, For me, Raya is not any, anywhere near what the other two. So that I think these are right now the kind of two leaders in the clubhouse for animated films. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we'll see, we'll see if uh, what, what else comes out this year and if there might be a, a uh, foreign film that kind of jumps in that makes things a little more interesting um, like last year's Wolf Walkers um, stuff like that. So mm-hmm. um I think we both would recommend watching this film. It's on Disney plus it's part of their package. You don't have to pay any ex- anything extra for it. Uh, if you have family at home, I highly recommend watching this with family um, because I think this is the film that anybody can enjoy on many, many different levels and uh, leaves you thinking about kind of the messaging um, for, for the days after, after the film is watched. Mm-hmm. 
Um, when we come back from this break, we are going to be counting down our list for our five favorite Pixar films of all time um, and kind of dissecting these films. So stick right there. All right, we are back, and we are going to be looking at our top five favorite Pixar movies. There are have been so far, I should know off the top of my head, around 23 maybe different Pixar movies. Um, but ever since uh, Toy Story, um, they've been kind of churning out high quality, higher and higher quality movies and really we're at a point now where we have a lot to choose from to to make this list and so um it's interesting because as i was making the list there was ones uh, that stood out to me as being clear top you know first second choices for me but then it got tougher for five through three for me just to kind of to figure out what i was going to um uh, to pick for these, these movies. Um, did you want to mention any honorable mentions or anything before we get started? I am not going to mention any honorable mentions because uh, for me, my top five, they, I get, ended up giving all five of them a nine and they were the only five out of the Pixar movies that I gave a nine to. Okay. Um, so I have a ton of eights that come after that. Um, so I am not going to, uh, pick out anything in particular for my honorable mentions, but if you have an honorable mention, I'd like to kind of hear what you think. The only honorable mention that I am going to mention is Ratatouille, which is one that I, I have actually only seen twice, once when I was really young and then once, uh, probably four or five years ago. But I just, I think it's one that is, um, creative and uh i like that it is you know i like when a, a kid's movie is showing a, a world that um people aren't aware of and so that culinary food scene and just look kind of diving into it with you know the intensity of like what it's like to be in the kitchen and all those things i think that that's kind of a fun thing for kids to see and it's the type of thing that it, you know, inspires kids to maybe want to cook, you know, or to, to, to take up these sorts of um, skills. And so I, I think that sort of thing is cool. And it's obviously, um, you know, creative and, and interesting in, in that perspective. So Ratatouille is one that I, I, I really enjoyed. And I was bummed that I couldn't put it in my top five. Um, do you want to start us off with your number five pick? I sure will. Um, so at number five, uh, I picked 2009's Up. Um, and Up is one of those movies that actually out of all of these, this is the one that uh, it's been the longest since I've seen it. Um, it's probably been around 2009. But Up, I feel like Up took Pixar um, from being seen primarily as a children's uh, entity, um, like their movies being more of a children's 
uh, children's films and made it more accessible um, as being seen as telling a story that is appealing to adults. Um, and one thing that Up really highlights is that human relationship aspect of life. And I think in general, Pixar more than maybe any other movie movie making industry um, or company, they are very interested in relationships and how we have unique relationships with uh, all sorts of different things. But um, because Up has human characters, uh, the, the way in which it um, <laughs> really pulls at your heartstrings and makes it very accessible um, is just kind of on another level. And it does so almost immediately as the movie starts and gets you hooked in there. Um, and so Up was nominated for Best Picture. Um, and it kind of, I think, set a, a bar for animated film saying, you know, there's only been a handful of animated films that have ever been considered to be kind of in the same, uh, on the same level as, as the rest of the cinema world. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I felt like I really needed to honor up as being just quality cinema. Mm -hmm. And um, even though out of these five movies, this is probably my least favorite, uh, just because I don't know that it has the same um, rewatch uh, appeal that some of the other Pixar films has. Um, I think that it is an important animated film um, that you have no chance to sit down and watch without tears um, just because of the way that it does connect on that emotional level. I think that a huge part of Up being so successful too is the music. And that's Michael Giacchino who wrote the yes. music for Up. And it's he's written a lot of great stuff, but it's probably the best thing he's ever written. Um, and the, the opening seven minutes or whatever of that movie with the music is, I think... The music is critical in in how that uh, pulls at your heartstrings, you know. Um, and it's a totally original movie. I mean, like you, it's unpredictable. You don't really yep. know where it's going to go. And uh, I think that is, you know, it's not formulaic in the way that Luca is, or right. you know, other Pixar or Disney type movies for kids. Uh, so. It, it, it deserves that recognition as a best picture nominated movie, you know? Um, so that I like that pick. I did not include it on my top five. Um, I tended to pick movies that just what, what movies I kind of had a more personal connection with. Um, and so they might not represent the highest quality of, of uh, Pixar's movies, but just ones that really uh, stuck with me. Um, so my number five pick was The Incredibles, uh, 2004 Incredibles. Um, I think that a huge aspect of this that was enjoyable to me is just, I, I, like, I like the uh, family dynamic of the movie and just seeing how they come together as a family. And I also think an aspect of this that is so interesting and while the animation is in, in the, the uh, figure, the way that the characters look maybe is similar to other 
um, other animated movies. I think that the choice of setting is really interesting because there's some kind of um, hard to trace uh, technology going on in the, the, you know, like it has kind of a 1960s vibe of those yeah. kind of golden age comic stories. And, and so, and I think that's very uh, deliberate um, to kind of have that. Um, but I think that was a really interesting appeal to me is, is it felt of our time, but then it also felt like it was existed in a time outside our, our world, which was really cool. Um, and uh, it's one that if I, uh, ever since I've seen it, um, if I see it on like TV or something, I'll probably stop and watch it for a while just because I think it's really enjoyable. And, um, and again, it's, it's definitely one that kids, kids will enjoy, but if, you know, you're somebody like me who also likes, you know, superhero movies and Marvel movies, this is a good superhero movie. It's a fun, uh, movie that, you know, it's before superhero movies really started to take off that this is, this came yeah, out. So. True. Um, I don't, I don't particularly, I don't like the Incredibles as much as the average person. I think that I like it a little bit less and I don't know if it's that it fits too much into a certain mold that is uh, not as unique because it, maybe it's been watered down a little bit over time. Mm -hmm. um, but I do have to recognize that when this movie came out, it was pretty original um, in terms of uh, really playing into kind of the superhero genre when it hadn't been overly saturated at the time. Mm -hmm. um, and also the way that it is made, they make it, they made it, even though it is very much an animated film, but kind of like Mitchell's versus the machines where um, there are aspects that feel very much like a live action movie. Mm -hmm. And they wanted, they wanted to, make the movie feel that way um, mm -hmm. while still being able to bring uh, the larger than life animated aspects uh, to the screen. Um, and so I think that for me, that I, that makes it a little bit more interesting in terms of craft. Um, but I understand why this movie is absolutely beloved. It just doesn't quite have the same spot in my heart that uh um, a lot of these other Pixar movies do. And um, I'm not sure it has the same emotional <laughs> appeal that a lot of the other movies that I, I love from Pixar uh, have. Like, I'm, I'm not a blubbering mess while watching The Incredibles like I am um, some of these other movies. I would agree with that. It just is a fun movie. And uh, I think that's why I ended up picking it. So that was your number five. Um, my number four is Monsters, Inc. from 2001. Um, I honestly went back and forth uh, about where to place this one. It could have been as high as number two. Um, and I think the fact that I've seen this movie so many times probably uh, also hurts it a little bit because um, there is something to be said about some of these movies and just that first experience with it which this movie I, I think out of all of the Pixar movies this is probably either like number two or number three for a movie that I've seen the most times um, but 
it, this is a an extremely original concept of having these monsters uh, that uh, are part of kind of um, child lore as being scary and kind of pulling back the curtain. So I think even though there is clearly um, this appeal to adults and the kind of emotional aspect of this, uh, there is also, uh, this is made for kids with the intention of saying, like kind of taking away that, that curtain that makes monsters seem as scary. And um, yeah, the characters in this just, they, you grab onto them, you love them. And uh, yeah, I, I absolutely love Monsters, Inc. I think out of all of the voice performances, out of any Pixar films, this probably has two of the best. Um, and I think it's up there with like Toy Story as being just iconic uh, types of characters um, from John Goodman and Billy Crystal. Um, I also had Monsters, Inc. as my number four pick. So, yes. Uh, the, I, I was going to say the same thing. The uh, voice acting in this is so good. Uh, John Goodman, um, particularly for me, is what, I mean, like, he, he embodies, as an actor, he embodies this type of character. Somebody who's gruff, maybe intimidating on the outside, but has like a softness to him. Yeah. Um, and he, he kind of plays roles like that in other films he's in. Um, and he definitely can go to one extreme or the other, depending yep. on the movie. But uh, I mean, like that was such a critical part of the movie. And again, uh, I don't want to reiterate too much of what you said, but just how original this, this movie is. And I like that they had a concept that allowed them to be as creative as they possibly could be in terms of the style of, or the design of the monsters themselves, you know, like they could, you know, the sky's the limit with what they could come up with for what these monsters looked like. And so that's really fun. And then the, the, you know, factory kind of bureaucratic aspect of this movie the design of that of the doors on those carts or the the belt kind of sliding by and all yeah. that i mean there's only only almost something kind of haunting about the sequence where they go into the big like warehouse area where it's all of those doors just swinging by and it's just you know the the i think something that pixar does and maybe we'll talk about it depending it's it's not on my list i will already say is finding nemo or finding dory but they they will they tend to show the magnitude of our world and you know seeing all those doors it kind of brings you to a certain reality and i felt that way in finding nemo seeing the sea and just the vastness of the sea there's something that is interesting interestingly sobering about Pixar is that they they kind of are entertaining you but at the same time they're making you aware of um kind of the you know your your smallness in the universe which is is, is kind of a again it's that existential thing with soul and maybe we'll talk about that more but um 
I think that's a really interesting aspect that you see in Monsters, Inc. Because I remember seeing that warehouse scene as a kid and being kind of freaked out by the endless amount of doors that you see. Yeah, and the idea of being kind of lost and trying to find your place in the world, you know? Right, right. Um, yeah, I, I agree with that that sentiment. Um, yeah, Monsters, Inc. is just, it's a... And because it was one of the earlier um, Pixar films, I think that it it was just very magical at the time mm-hmm. <laughs> that it was released. And I don't think it's lost any of that uh, magical aspect. And in fact, they it's still they're they're coming back with this television series on Disney Plus, mm-hmm. and they're bringing back uh, both Billy Crystal and John Goodman to do the voices for that series. So. Um, clearly it's still a staple within the uh, the Pixar world and one that they think has, has um, some money left in it, I guess. Um, but yeah, I love loved Monsters, Inc. Um, my number three movie is 2017's Coco. And um, I think that I probably loved Coco more than the average uh, Pixar lover. Um, and one thing that I think makes it special is that Pixar took a chance to try to introduce a culture of the world that the average American is not necessarily going to understand, um, until they, they kind of open things up. And I think that they've started to do a little bit of a better job with that in more recent years and trying to be more representative of different cultures. Um, I think brave maybe did a little bit when they did, when they made brave, but I don't know that that was as much about the cultural aspect Mm -hmm. as Coco is and Coco still to this point is the most uh, culturally um, driven Pixar film in terms of trying to um, show something that, that isn't American mm-hmm. as uh, some of these other, these other, these other films that they have made. Um, but the visual aspect of Coco is gorgeous. <laughs> the design of this film is insane. Um, it, from an emotional standpoint, it's fantastic. I think about the fact that we celebrate Halloween every single year and um, this brings in another cultural aspect of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the fact that it kind of unpacks the idea of death and um, even though there's kind of the scary element to it, uh, I think that it, this is a pretty mature film. Like I, I think that um, it maybe doesn't connect as much probably with little kids, Mm-hmm. But as you're starting to kind of gain an understanding of the world and um, life and death and uh, that that role in life, um, I think this is this is a little bit deeper. Uh, and we talk about Luca being more of a face value type of film. This mm-hmm. is one of the more deeper films, I think, in terms of what it has to say and uh, kind of that attachment to family and culture mm-hmm. um and the music is great in this uh the characters are great and yeah it's just a magical magical world that they created for coco um i'm not gonna say a lot right now about coco because it's gonna be later on my list okay. 
Um, but uh, this is a good transition for me because you said this is a little bit of a deeper movie. Yeah. Um, all of my next three picks are going to be what I would consider Pixar's like more uh, deep kind of uh, maybe less accessible movies in some ways, but I think uh, they're challenging. And I think that's what makes them really interesting. My number three pick is Inside Out. Um, and the reason why, and I've only seen Inside Out, I think like one and a half times. I saw it once and then I loved it. And then I've seen bits and pieces of it here and there. But um, it is uh, so creative in the, and it's easy to say that for Pixar. I know we keep saying it's creative, it's creative, but just like the, the idea that we're going to look at the, what makes you, you, you know, what, what goes into making a, a person do the things that they're going to do. And um, the, the best part about inside out to me is the lesson that like, you know, you just need to be happy. You just need to, you know, uh, enjoy things you know like forcing people to only embrace those those moments and not accept the the grief or accept the the sad things in life I think is a really good lesson um for kids and maybe it's one that is not in some ways super recognizable for a young audience member um but if you're an older kid and or definitely an, an adult that is a clear message of this movie is that like all of your emotions work together um, and it's not something to be, there's no one emotion that is better than the other. It's just, that's how life is. You, you need to be able to accept all parts of who you are. Um, I thought that again, they did something and maybe this is just a, a core principle of Pixar is they like to find stories that allow them to use endless creativity, you know? Um, and so when you're dealing with the psyche of a person, which we have no frame of reference for really what that looks like, other than like medical scans and things like that, you can really be creative about how you show things visually and how you build the characterization of, of the different um, emotions within a person. So I really thought this was uh, a impactful movie for me and, uh, one that is again challenging maybe has a little bit of a, a a somberness to it at times but i think that there's a crucial lesson in there that makes this stand out um i think that a lot of uh people probably agree with you in terms of this i i, I agree with you on a lot of uh on a lot of that um this is just a tear down for me and um I think from a character aspect of it, I maybe didn't connect with the characters as much as some of the other films. Um, there, are, <laughs> this does have some emotional tugging of the hearts, mm -hmm. uh, uh, and there are definitely some scenes in this that, that get you get you crying. Um, but uh, yeah, from the the standpoint of it being a pretty abstract concept and trying to make it more concrete and uh, allow you to understand things in a way that we've never been able to um, really think about before and trying to make this accessible to children. Um, Inside Out is a wholly 
a wholly unique film um, mm -hmm. in what it, it, it attempted to do. And um, I will say, and it may come up here in a little bit, uh, in a way I felt like Soul maybe cheapened it a little bit because I think that it's doing similar things. Mm -hmm. um, and so it takes maybe some of that uniqueness away, which is also maybe a knock against Soul is that uh, it felt a little bit too much like Inside Out, um, but they both are, are doing interesting things and talking about things that aren't maybe quite as accessible um, and do it in a quite accessible sort of way. Mm -hmm. um, all right, my number two. My number two movie is uh, Finding Nemo. Okay. And uh, that's from 2003. And a huge reason uh, that I love Finding Nemo is a little bit what you were talking about previously. And it's because of just the ability to show vast, the vastness of the sea. Um, whereas Luca doesn't do as good of a job of really developing this underwater world and almost making it feel small. Mm -hmm. um, this really, really shows just how huge our world is mm -hmm. and i think something about the natural aspect of our world um really connects with me i love watching documentaries that have under the sea mm -hmm. um exploration which is one of the reasons that i loved my octopus teacher this past year is because it's just it, in a way it's mysterious it's maybe a little bit scary um but it in the grand scheme of things, it shows you just how small we all are mm -hmm. and uh, how we're just a small piece of the entirety of, of this world. Mm -hmm. And um, Finding Nemo, I think, delves into this and makes the sea both magical and scary and mysterious. And um, yeah, it, this, this film just connected with me. And I was just in awe with how they were able to visualize and put this on display um, from an animated standpoint. Um, and I also think that this, this film, I thought uh, that Albert Brooks uh, voice acting for Marlon probably is top tier voice acting mm -hmm. um, in all of Pixar. Um, Ellen DeGeneres obviously has become an iconic character as Dory. Um, I didn't care for Finding Dory as much as Finding Nemo. And I think maybe in a way that lifts Finding Nemo up even more is mm -hmm. that uh, it's just a far superior film to its sequel. And um, yeah, I, I absolutely loved Finding Nemo and it has just a place in my heart always um, as one of the great Pixar films. Yeah, I, I, not that I didn't like Finding Nemo, I just didn't include it on the list. And it, it is honestly one that I, uh, it did scare me as a kid a little bit because of seeing that vastness of the ocean. Um, but one thing that I'm noticing too, as we talk through all of these, is that really just about every single Pixar movie has a standout voice actor. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe there's some that aren't as, you know, memorable, but like you said, I, Albert book Brooks is, is the, the father in this um, is fantastic. I mean, it's good. And um, I, I, 
wonder too how much that is is has to do with the fact that maybe is is would these movies be the same if albert brooks wasn't in it or if john goodman wasn't in monsters inc and it's just like michael giacchino's music adding just that touch and it it, it's, it's a testament to just how much the production of these movies is fine-tuned at every single level of the story um the performances are key to that so that's cool i like it um my number two pick is soul so you know then that my number one pick is going to be coco i'll talk about that later but um soul uh the reason why i picked this as number two it's it's one that you know i it, i think the pandemic may be happening might have muted the impact that soul had um if it didn't come out during a year where there's a lot of heaviness a lot of stuff going on you know like it might have had a little bit more success but it was maybe too sobering given everything that was going on it's a, a story essentially about you know you know enjoying life and uh you know finding your calling whatever that is um and uh, ultimately it's also about death too, you know, because you do what you can while you're alive. Um, the thing that is most stand out to me about soul is I believe that it is the best animation from Pixar yet. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that yes, it is the most realistic world that we've lived in, um, for any of these movies, but it's amazing to me that they can make it look uh, real in terms of the lighting in the film, but then you know that these are, you know, animated characters that are, are on the screen. And so they still, the characters themselves still look very animated. It's similar to our conversation we had about Mitchell's and the machines versus the machines um, and how their world, the setting that these characters are in looks very real, but the characters themselves don't. Um, I I think Soul is that to like the highest level. The the just how you see the reflection on the street, how you see um, light hitting the air. There's like dust particles. I mean, like it feels so cinematic, yeah. um, and you can't help but get lost in that. And there's a good reason why it feels it's the most real because it's supposed to highlight just how vivid how um uh important noticing those little things are in life and so to me from a craft perspective it's almost perfect uh from the the visual element um this is one too where they you have that juxtaposition and they were still able to go complete sky is the limit in that kind of world that is before they get to earth and they can be super creative there. And I think, you know, the melding of those two worlds could have been not super successful, but they did a really good job with it within the story. Um, and again, this is one where I think music plays a significant role in the film as a story part of the, the, the movie, but then also in, actually improving the, or moving the story forward with music. Um, and so 
this was an impactful movie. And I, I, I do think that maybe 2020, given everything that has gone on in 2020, um, was maybe a, a tough year for us to watch it because it was a somewhat sobering story. It's a time where it's hard to enjoy certain parts of life, you know, and this is a movie about embracing those things, no matter how big or small, um, and finding your purpose, you know, that's hard in a year where there's a lot of struggle internally, um, about things are happening externally that are making you question things. And, um, so I think if this came out in any other year, it would have a bigger impact. Um, possibly i think that there's a chance that that's the case but i also feel like it came out at the right time simply because people needed that um reminder that there are aspects of life to still be able to enjoy and that that was kind of almost my takeaway from it at the time when when we when i watched it um that like it 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 simplifies some things when we often try to complicate the world around us and, and get caught up in um, kind of the way other people live their lives and project other people's experiences on our own. And mm-hmm. sometimes I think we build things up to want uh, aspects of life to be a certain way um, that, that just isn't necessarily the best fit for us. And so that a lot of times we do have to uh, live life um, just the way that it, it kind of plays out for us and enjoy mm-hmm. the things that we have. Um, and so for me at that time, I feel like uh, it maybe that that was the impact that it had on me. But um, you may be right that maybe if in a different time, uh, I, I would have experienced it a little bit differently. Um I admit for this film that I projected my own um, narrative choices onto the film as it was playing out. And there was a period of time in the middle. And once again, because this is a newer film, I still, I don't want to spoil anything if people still haven't seen it. Um, But there was a section of the film where I did not like the direction that it was going. And I let that impact the way that I enjoyed the film Um, when it, when the credits were rolling, uh, it had rectified some of those feelings that I had had, but it's still, I think there was a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth, um, in terms of some of the choices that they made. Um, and because I would have made them differently. And Mm -hmm. so it's unfair because this isn't my movie to make. And the, the uh, writers, they made some decisions about how to play this out that uh, um, were their own creative choices. And uh, my own projections shouldn't uh, have an impact on that. Um, but I think that's part of what kind of held this, ba- this film back from being one of my all time favorites uh, on top of the fact that we had already discussed that um, it felt a little bit uh, too closely related to Inside Out for me. Um, and so it didn't feel maybe as original as uh, Inside Out even felt. Um, and I think that I would probably rank myself Inside Out just slightly above this film. But from a music standpoint, this is probably a 
top. I mean, this is a top five uh, Pixar film when it comes to um, the role that music plays right mm -hmm. up there with Up. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think that it is impossible for you to make an argument that uh, the music doesn't have a very impactful um, feel for you as you're watching this film. Uh, mm -hmm. And I really enjoyed that aspect of it on top of the fact that I also think that maybe not to the same extent that Coco does, but they did try to bring a little bit more cultural aspect mm -hmm. to uh, this film. And I think that that's where Pixar is starting to kind of branch out a little bit with Luca and creating more of an Italian countryside and bringing mm -hmm. some of that into there. Um I think uh, that Pixar is trying to branch out a little bit more and tell other people's stories that aren't from a completely white uh, point of view. Um, they still have some work to do in that regard. Um, but I think that also makes Soul a little bit more interesting as well. Mm -hmm. um, okay. So my number one movie is the OG uh, Pixar. Toy Story from 1995. Uh, I can't shake this movie, even though it's the one that I've seen the absolute most times um, out of all of the Pixar movies every single time. It's good. Uh, we watched it again last night. Um, and it's still, to me, just as magical as it was the first time. Um, and part of this is nostalgia, uh, being a kid and kind of growing up with this story. And as they made sequels, even though the sequels don't live up to the original, um, they're still like that going on that journey with these characters, I think um, kind of helps make this original story that much more rich. Um, but uh, this is a completely original idea during a period of time where um Nobody could have imagined that Pixar would become what it became. Mm -hmm. um, when we talk about great voice acting, this film has great voice acting. Um, it is a film about relationships, even though they are toys. Um, but like the, the way that this movie makes you feel as a human being in relation to some of these objects that have uh much more meaning like it's not so much about the object as it is about the memories that we mm -hmm. make with the world around us and mm -hmm. that nostalgia that we feel um the this this story just it it connects in ways that none of the other movies do for me mm -hmm. um and uh this is another movie where i think the music is a huge huge part of it um once again another top five music pixar film um and yeah it's it, it is my favorite pixar film toy story that's awesome i um i don't have toy story on this list maybe because of the fact that it is part of a series and like it's hard for me at least to be picking any individual one within that series as being better. And maybe it has been watered down from just seeing different iterations of it. But uh, the one thing that I'll say about Toy Story that sticks with me and is the most, for, for whatever reason, it, it 
it has the biggest impact on me is um, the uh, degree to which the toys feel it so strongly their purpose of being like uh, loyal to one another, but then loyal to their, to Andy, you know, or to whoever the kid is to make sure their life is good. Um, for some reason that to me is always the, the most emotional aspect of all of these movies. Um, and seeing that, I, I think as a kid, seeing that and feeling a sense of your, you are being looked after and not in a creepy way, but like they're like people care about you and those sorts of things. I think that it is honestly, you know, like it, it makes a movie like Luca seem so much more formulaic and too easy too uh, safe, you know, yeah. because that is so cut and dry. Whereas this feel toy story, it's almost like, so wacky of an idea that like you can't help but dig deeper to find out to kind of look for those sorts of things um and like you said you're you feel almost ridiculous being so emotional about these objects but you know that that it's a testament to the storytelling and that voice acting too i would say especially in toy story i think the voice acting is critical um But yeah, I, I, it makes me want to watch Toy Story hearing you talk about it. Yeah, yeah it's, it, it's just an amazing film. And I think that Pixar owes so much to this film because it did everything at a high level um, for its very first output. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that they created very jarring differences in scenery um, when they go to Pizza Planet, mm-hmm. when they're in Sid's house, um, like they, the, the scenery changes so drastically between mm-hmm. the different uh, um, locations uh, that they, I don't know, they just created this world that is, uh, looks great and they could do whatever the heck they wanted with it. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I, they, they set a very high bar. And the mm-hmm. fact that uh, we're even having conversations about putting things ahead of that. Um, and in your case, putting movies ahead of it. Like that shows yeah. that, that Pixar has been very, very good at what they do and that they continue to improve on areas where maybe they, they had some kind of weaknesses. But just like mm-hmm. watching Toy Story last night again, um, I was almost in a way looking for what areas where it doesn't look as good. And I still think it looks so good. Like the, the fact that it has now been, I mean, we're, we're approaching 30 years, 30 years, I mean, yeah. 1995, we are approaching 30 years and it doesn't look like a 30 year old movie. Um, the animation is very good. And uh that's that is very very impressive if you ask me yeah it, it's interesting and before i get to my last one it's interesting how much toy story holds up in terms of the animation but for whatever reason a bug's life to me that was a movie that was i watched as a kid thinking that was like awesome but then i saw it when i was like i don't know like 17 or something again just for whatever reason and i was like 
this doesn't look very good. I, and I don't know what it was, but maybe, and I think it does has to do with the setting, the scenery, changing scenery and making that look real enough uh, in, or not real enough, but you, you know, like feel fully flesh, fleshed out. Um, yep. But yeah, I, I'm, I definitely want to watch Toy Story now. <laughs> um, so my number one pick, we talked about it a little bit already is Coco. Um, the, again, and maybe just because the type of person I am, the, those, this kind of challenging or more existential type movies really ha- have stuck with me, but it also is the emotional impact that comes with it in Coco. And Coco is a movie that just wrecked me emotionally. I was just sobbing by the end of it. Um, so much so that like the couch was shaking. Uh, um, so, but the, uh, the, uh, thing that to me is so impressive about it is it really is um you know making people think about death in a a different way and maybe um that is controversial for some people and i'm kind of surprised to see how well received it is by people that might not fully i mean maybe they just don't get it but like this idea that people only live on in your memory and so it's that's that's a tough tough thing to to deliver to an audience member and it's heartbreaking to to see how the degree to which these characters are fighting to be remembered by those that they've left behind in earth um i mean that is such a such a uh, I don't know. It's, it's a universal story that anybody can relate to and the way they tell it, the, again, the role that music plays, I feel like um, more so than any other movie, I was so in tune with Coco and how they animated the faces of their characters in Coco, because they can, I mean, we, we talk about, you know, acting, the voice acting is such a huge part of it, but getting those those reactions those facial expressions to be just perfect and so precise is huge um and i i'm not gonna spoil much uh, i mean it's been out for a little bit but the the end sequence with coco the grandmother and there's the, a way that her face changes that like just totally um it's a big emotional moment in the movie. Uh, and so it's so it has so much to do with how great that animation is. Um, and I, I don't think, I don't think that the animation is worse than, than soul because but I think souls is just so uh, interesting in how they played with light. But I do think that it has, um, it is not the, uh, it, it, it's more impressive from the standpoint of how they are building in the, the, the expressions of the characters. And so that was what was stand out to me. And again, it could be totally imaginative um, as well. And they allowed themselves the space to be creative in the story. And um, I, I think it's the one of the Pixar movies that, whenever I think of Pixar, I'm thinking of Coco now, even though Toy Story is the kind of quintessential, yeah. for whatever reason, Coco is the first one that I, I go to 
in my mind. So I love Coco and I recommend anybody to watch it. Uh, I think, yeah, yeah, I think Coco's fantastic. And once again, I think that we're both kind of on the same page in terms of we probably like Coco better than the average person. Um, Mm -hmm. And so maybe Coco hasn't been seen by as many people as some of these others. Um, so I think it's good that we're, we're not ruining it, even though it is a 2017 movie. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I think people should see Coco. Uh, mm-hmm. it also feels like we, we kind of this discussion a little bit earlier that it feels as if it is, um, meets us a little bit more at an older age, uh, mm-hmm. where, whereas it, it is it maybe as relatable to children, mm-hmm. um, which, more than maybe any other movie in their t- entire catalog. I feel like that might be the case. Um, maybe you're getting that way with soul too, um, mm-hmm. where it, they are a little bit more of an adult uh, issue to be concerned with. But I think it is something that children can learn about. And this gives them kind of that, that platform to do that. Um one last thing, because this kind of builds on what you were saying about just the facial expressions. Pixar, they changed the game for animation in terms of what you can do with animation mm-hmm. and showing that uh, you're not necessarily limited to just these, these 2D animations that um, can't be like real people. And mm-hmm. every year, I think we're getting closer and closer to uh, these these animated characters being able to be essentially look as good as real human mm-hmm. uh, emotions and interactions. Um, and one thing that I do have to give credit to Pixar for is that they aren't interested in trying to create characters that look completely human, and mm-hmm. they still exaggerate aspects of these characters um to keep them grounded in a animated world and in a way um i'm appreciative of that because i think that's part of what makes them magical is that um we still do relate to them on that emotional level because they they are able to uh be similar to human characters uh, but they still are able to take on kind of this uh, magical aspect of the worlds that they are in because we recognize that they aren't necessarily fully human mm-hmm. and that they still are an animated character. Yeah, it's interesting. And this would be something we could do for uh, some other future podcast. But Pixar is such, uh, they're so, so at the top of the animation game that I'd be curious to see if we had broadened this to just favorite animated movies, how many of the Pixar movies would be part of that conversation without the restriction of just keeping it Pixar, you know, Yeah. Uh, just because they're so, they're just, I mean, like uh, to me, it's, they're the, at least in, a, in the United States, they're the top, top dog. For sure. And yeah. uh, until somebody else proves otherwise, are going to be treated as such. But yeah, I think that's something that maybe down the line we talk about a little bit more um, and kind of opening it up uh, to other animated films and uh, see where everything kind of plays in together. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that 
kind of wraps up our conversation on Pixar. Uh, and I, I love the fact that we got to do this because it is uh, something that I think both of us have invested in over the course of our lives. And so it has a little bit more connection than maybe some of the other uh, the lists that we come up with. Mm-hmm. Um, it, but it also has some limitations to it so mm-hmm. that it's not so wide ranging that, right. uh, that we, we can't include everything um, right. in, in as a potential choice. So I really did enjoy this one. Um, over the next couple of weeks uh, and this upcoming weekend, we will be doing a review of Black Widow and sort of in the same vein as Pixar, we'll do a countdown of our favorite um, Marvel Universe films um, and kind of reviewing some of those. Uh, the following week, we will be reviewing the film that Danny's most anticipating this year, uh, the new Space Jam. <laughs> um, and we've been talking a little bit about how it may be really, really, really bad, but uh, we're going to enjoy talking about that film. Either I'm, way. I'm, I'm much more excited to just be able to talk about our like top sports movies along with that than to actually <laughs> watch the film. I mean, talking about it will be great, but watching it could be painful it will be painful (laughs) so that we'll be talking about that the weekend of um july 18th and then the following weeks we'll probably be doing some wes anderson uh marathon flicks in there we got the life aquatic coming up um we have uh i think the darjeeling darjeeling limited is then next so i think those are going to be the next two that we will do after that um, and then we'll kind of reevaluate and see what, what's coming up in the coming weeks that we're interested in doing a review for. Um, but uh, we're excited to get really into um, this time period where it seems like there's almost too, mo- too many movies to review. Uh, and uh, we're going to have some fun with it. Yep. So until next week, hope you have a great week and we will see you back here. See you later.